Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. It feels so good to worship the Lord together. It feels so good. I know that the Lord has given me a word for today, and I, I just pray that we'll receive it, and then we'll respond to it. Now, I'll remind us today that, as you have already witnessed, the front of this building is our altar area. This is where we come forward. And uh, as an act of faith, you can pray anywhere at any time, and God will hear you. Amen? Amen. You can call on his name anywhere at any time, and he will be there. But an act of faith in a church service like this, to step out and come forward and to pray. And I'll remind you that if you, at some point while I'm preaching today, if you just... God won't let you stay in your seat any longer. <laughs> you just come on up and pray. And uh, I know that God responds to faith. Amen? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. It's forever settled in heaven. It's part of the word of God, and therefore it is for us as well. Ephesians 2, and I want to read verses 8, 9, and 10. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. If not, share with your neighbor or look on the screen. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, works lest any man should boast. For we are, somebody say we are. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. That phrase, his workmanship, means we are a thing of his making. We are a thing of God's making, and since he is the master that makes us masterpieces. Amen. Since he is the master that makes us masterpieces, and I want us to see today that we can be masterpieces and a work in progress at the same time. A masterpiece in progress. A masterpiece in progress. How is that possible? How, how is something like that doable? Well, as long as the master is still able to work on us, as long as we are still submitting ourselves to his hand, we are his workmanship. And I'm thankful today to remind us that we have a master who doesn't quit easy. I'm thankful today to remind us that we have a master who doesn't give up on us quickly. Is there anybody in the house today that would like to take five seconds and thank God that you have a master that didn't walk away from you? 
and leave you behind. And if he is able to work on us, then that means he is able to keep us in process and in progress. We must remember that God is working with an eternal point of view. We must keep in mind that uh, he sees life much differently than we in what he does with us today and in this time. What he does with us is so that we can have a heavenly reward. He's not trying to just get us through today. He's trying to get us to heaven. He's not trying to just give us a better week. He's trying to get us to an eternity with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Is anybody looking forward to that day? Oh, hallelujah. But some things can take time. Turn your neighbor and tell him it takes time. Masterpieces can take time. The 19th century French artist Ernest Messier took 13 years to finish his painting that is entitled Napoleon's Victory. Amen. 13 years he worked on a singular painting. It's considered a masterpiece today, but it took him 13 years to do it. The Notre Dame Cathedral took 180 years to finish. People lived and died and did not see it completed. The Mona Lisa which is considered a great masterpiece, but anyone that looks at it says that's just a picture of a woman. She don't even seem that happy about it. But it is considered a masterpiece for a lot of different reasons, which we won't get into today, but it took the artist 15 years to finish the Mona Lisa. And Brahms' first symphony took him over 20 years to complete, and it's only 45 minutes long. But he wrote it for 20 years, worked on it, fine-tuned it, changed things, moved things around, added little pieces here, and took away other things there for 20 years. And today, you can sit and listen in awe to that symphony and take the grandeur and the beauty of it all and think it was 20 years that it took to get to that place. Discussions about masterpieces have little to do with how long it takes to get them. It's just that they end up being masterpieces. Very little discussion is given to all of the things that had to happen and all the changes that had to occur and all the redos and the fixes. It's just discussed as if they are a masterpiece. Oh, hallelujah. In finding some of the historical information from the works of art that I just mentioned, I came across a discussion panel. Now, you've heard me say this before. Discussion panels online are usually not a good place to be. But I felt relatively safe because I was in this world of masterpieces and artwork, and there was some artists that were discussing, amen, this, this, uh, these different pieces of art. And a young artist uh, spoke up in one of the discussions, and it kind of sucked me in, and I had to read it because their question was, how do I have patience when I'm drawing or when I'm painting? 
The young artist is asking whoever is out there in the world, how, how can I have patience with, with my art? And I was moved by an elder who replied and says, you are by no means alone. Many an artist has to combat impatience, whatever their art form. From decades of learning the lessons of patience, here are some of my thoughts. Anytime I hear an elder with decades of learning, I usually listen. And so I began to read the conversation. And he began by stating that patience can be learned and developed. That patience is not something that people are just born with. That patience is something that takes time. That you're going to mess up once in a while, and you're going to get it wrong once in a while, and you're going to come up short once in a while, and you're going to get ahead of yourself and think you're better than you are once in a while. And patience takes time, but it can be learned and it can be de developed. And then he pointed out this. This is his quote. The major obstacles to patience are perfectionism and the demand for instant success. The reason why people struggle with patience is because they want perfect. And perfect rarely exists. In fact, perfect doesn't exist at all outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a never-ending struggle for humanity to find perfection. And the only humanity that's ever going to find perfection is when we slip out, amen, of this fleshly garment and we step in to that heavenly boat. And then, and finally then, will we be able to experience perfection. Patience and perfectionism and the demand for instant success. So I come today, I know I'm anointed of God. I felt it this week, I knew when I was preparing it for today, I knew there were gonna be people in this place that needed to hear exactly what I'm telling you. And I'll make myself, if need be, an illustration as well, just so you understand the reality of this situation that nobody is perfect. And everybody's in process. Oh, hallelujah. I need somebody to understand who walked in here feeling like a failure today. That that's just the way you walked in. But that does not have to be the way that you walk out. You woke up this morning saying, I'm never going to get it right. And I've come with the anointing of the Holy Ghost to give you a word from God that says, you will get it right. You just got to keep working. And you got to keep yourself on the potter's wheel. And you got to let the hand of the mighty God continue to mold you and shape you and work you telling somebody today do not give up on God because he will not give up on you he exampled this this elder artist exampled this by sharing what he called the law of the farm it was an interesting illustration not something I would have thought an artist would use but he said, I call it the law of the farm. It means a farmer plants the seed, but then he does not stand over the seed and shout, grow, grow, grow. Come on. What are you waiting on? I don't got all day. Hallelujah. God is a God of process. And 
progress. If we are willing to submit to the process, oh hallelujah, then we will have progress. If we are unwilling to submit to the process, then we will not have progress. We must let the master work on his masterpiece. We must allow him to pick up a brush and put on some more paint. We must allow him to fine tune. We must allow him to cover over, to wipe away. It is grace that saves us, and we need saving. I said we need saving. Our works continually come up short. We didn't have the answer. If we had the answer, we wouldn't have needed grace. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. We're here today because we did it on our own and it didn't work. We're here today because we tried our way and it ended up badly. And so we come back to the foot of the cross. We come back to Jesus and we're saying, here I am today. I'm standing before you again. I'm laying myself down. I'm asking the master to go to work on me. It was his work at Calvary. That's what makes it possible. If we could save ourselves, we would just become prideful and arrogant. I want you to think about it for a second. If we could save ourselves, we would do it. And then when we become so prideful and arrogant about the fact that we did it, we would consider ourselves as to be gods, which would lead us right back to sin and damnation again. So we would be real good for a little while. <laughs> we would have it all figured out for a little bit. But we are not God. We never will be God. So we cannot save ourselves. You say, well, preacher, there's a verse in the Bible that says save yourselves. There is. Thank you for bringing that up. In Acts, the second chapter, in verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. But I warn you today, I warn us not to take this verse by itself and think it's possible that we really can save ourselves. Because this was actually the last part of a message that was preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. Just moments before this, he had preached in Acts 2 and 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Jews were suddenly shocked by the revelation that they didn't have it all right. They were suddenly shocked by the revelation that they didn't have it all figured out. 
and that they weren't enough on their own and that they had missed the Messiah, not just missed him, but crucified him on a cross and they were shocked by that revelation and this revelation causes them to respond accordingly in Acts 2 and 37, therefore let all the house of Israel know, assuredly he says, you crucified him and then verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? We messed it all up. We had all of this, all this working for us. We had everything we needed and we messed it and we missed it. What shall we do to which we find these eternity-altering words? In Acts 2, 38-40, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort unto them saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. God's word gave them clear steps to take. A clear process that would bring about real progress in their lives. They did have work to do. It did require something of them. But it was a God-directed work. They did have to repent. Nobody could repent for them. So that was something they had to do. They had to repent of their sins. But the reason why repentance is not a work of man and it's a work of God is first of all, repentance was God's idea. It don't sound like something man would come up with. First of all, repentance was God's idea. And second of all, it only works because God allows it to work. If God hadn't come up with repentance, then it would do nothing at all. But because God said, if you repent, I will forgive you of your sins. I will blot out your transgressions. Because the almighty master said that's possible, then it is possible. He said, repent. And then he said, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Yes, that's what the Bible says. Yes, I just read it to you. Yes, we understand that the name of the Father is Jesus. And the name of the Son is Jesus. And the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. And all three of these are one God. And that one God has one name. And his name is Jesus. And he said, everything you do, hallelujah, do it in my name. And he said, every knee is going to bow before my name. And his name has all power in heaven and in earth. And so he said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's a work. You got to decide to do it. You got to get in that baptismal tank. You don't just float into it. Although that would be nice. 
you got to go up the stairs and down the stairs and turn around and sit down. And then someone has to baptize you. You don't baptize yourself. Somebody baptizes you. And when they baptize you, the Bible declares that they're supposed to say in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of human involvement in that. It's a work. But the reason why it's a God work and not a human work is because it does work. <laughs> because you can go down in a watery grave of baptism, as the Bible declares it, and come up in the newness of life and the old things are gone and everything becomes new. You can be washed clean of every sin you've ever committed and the guilt and the shame that you've been dragging around with you for years. You can finally disconnect from it and leave it in the bottom of that tank. And you know what? That's just water in a wooden tank. But if you do it in Jesus' name, in obedience to the scripture, your life is eternally changed forever. Why? because the master says I'm going to go to work they're giving me an opportunity to do some work and I'm going to work on them oh clap your hands under the Lord everybody and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost he says and he calls it a gift and he calls it a promise not just to you but to your children and not to us but to all them, even those that are far off, receive the spirit of the almighty God. Amen. But you have to do some things. He's not just going to overcome you someday while you're just sitting at work. You're not just going to start speaking in tongues against your will. Amen. It's not going to happen. Nobody has ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost against their will. You have to lay your will down. And you have to want it. And you have to be willing to repent. You have to be willing to follow the process. You have to be willing to worship him and surrender yourself to him. Speaking with other tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit coming in, which means it's also evidence of a completely surrendered life. People say, how come I haven't received the Holy Ghost? How come I can't receive the Holy Ghost? Most of the time it's because there's that little thing over here that you don't want to talk about. Yeah, look at you now. Looks y'all. There's that little thing over here that most people don't even know about that you're just not really ready to surrender. The master stands ready. The master has the brush in his hand. He's just waiting on the day. He's just waiting. He stands ready. I need you to understand the, the, the posture of the master. 
The posture of the master is not of one where he just kind of gave up waiting on you a long time ago and he's put you in a crate somewhere and you're stored in some place and he's just thinking, well, if they ever decide to come back, I'll dig them out there and dust them off. No, that's not the posture of the master. The posture of the master is he stands with his brush in his hand just inches away from the canvas just saying, give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. Let me show you what I can do do. I'm ready to wash this away. I'm ready to make this beautiful. I'm ready to make you into something that you never thought was possible. The posture of the master as he's standing in this place right now. He's standing right in front of every one of us and he's saying, give me an opportunity and I'll do something masterful with your life. Repent and be baptized. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And many of them did just that because the next verse says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That day they did it. They did it that day. Gladly received, it says. That means to take fully, to welcome, to accept the word. They just... They just decided, you know what, instead of questioning, and instead of fighting, instead of rebelling, I'm just going to roll the welcome mat out, and I'm going to let the word of God come in. And their willingness to submit to the process started them on a path of progress. Progress is something that we hunger that we crave for. Progress is something that humanity dreams about and thinks, and some people sadly stay stuck for years dreaming about progress. When the reality of it is, if you'll just quit trying to do it yourself, and you'll surrender to the master, you're a masterpiece. In progress. God doesn't plant us and then shout, grow, grow, grow. But he does plant a process in us. That was a big day for Peter. Acts 2, day of Pentecost. That was a big day for him. It was a masterpiece moment, if you will. He preached wonderfully. He was anointed. He hit everything that he needed to hit. He was completely in tune with the Lord. His words are forever settled. They're in the book. He did. That means he said exactly what God wanted him to say. Oh, hallelujah. That's a masterpiece moment of love. I would love to be able to see that. I don't know that that's a possibility in heaven, but if it is, I'm going to ask, can we go back in time and see that? I want to see that. It's a masterpiece moment for Peter, but Peter was a masterpiece that was still in progress. You know, it wasn't very long before that day. Not very long before that day that we read in Matthew 16, then Peter took him, speaking of Jesus, by the way, took Jesus and began to rebuke him. Excuse me? 
You did what? <laughs> That's a bad idea. He began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, Jesus turned and looks at Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's what I mean. That's a bad idea, Peter. Ah, you should have known that was coming. Thou art an offense to me. This is one. Now, remember, this is not Peter's first day. This is Peter the disciple. This is Peter already had been anointed of God. This is Peter who's already watched this Jesus do some incredibly miraculous things. This is a Peter who understands this is not just a man. This is the Messiah. This is a Peter who gets it. And yet, he still, somehow, has the audacity to say, no, Jesus, you're not going to do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. He says, you don't want what God wants. You want what you want. That's what Peter was so wrong about. He was so wrong because he was trying to deny the process. Jesus had literally just told the disciples about his death and resurrection. He had just got done telling them that he was going to die crucified, and he was going to resurrect again. And after telling them that, Peter says, oh, no, you aren't. That's not going to happen. Quit talking like that. Peter thought that somehow, suddenly, Jesus had just become a defeatist. That suddenly, somehow, Jesus had just surrendered to the fact that he was going to lose. And Peter thought, I have chosen Jesus, I'm on his side, and I don't want to lose. And so he tries to tell Jesus, no, you're not going to do that. And Jesus looks at him and says, that mindset comes from Satan. The mindset that says we're going to skip the process and we're just going to end up with the masterpiece, uh, that comes from Satan. Jesus said, no, I must die. I must be crucified. I must go into the tomb so I can resurrect on the third day. I can conquer death, hell, and the grave, and I can reign victoriously. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus said the process matters. And by the way, Peter, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. He's doing it for you. The process is for us. He went through the process that he had to go through so that we could have the opportunity to go through the process we have to go through. Everybody with me today? And it is a mindset of Satan that thinks that we can skip the process. We can skip the humbling and the submitting. That we can skip all of the things that God asks us to do and somehow still turn out a masterpiece. 
The process is what brings about the masterpiece. The work that has to be done, the sacrifices made, is what brings out the masterpiece. Now, I want to make a further point today. I run the risk a little bit of, I don't want you to forget the point I've just made. But there are times, and I just really feel like this is important. Somebody needs to hear it. There are times when an artist intentionally leaves things unfinished. Yet the decision leads to something of a much greater value. I understand that God can do all things, but he doesn't have to. Just because he can doesn't mean he will. Now, I want to be very clear about what I'm about to say. He will never leave us to our sins. He will never say, well, I want to leave them in their sinful condition because that's better for me. He's never going to do that. They're a good good example of what sin does. He doesn't do that. He will never leave us in our sins that we are working to get out of, and he will never leave us unprotected or unable to become what he wants us to become. He won't do that to us. We may do that to ourselves, but he won't do it to us. But what if there are parts of us that he intentionally doesn't change even though they are things we would prefer that he did change, but he chooses not to. There's a picture of the adoration of the Magi, it's called. It's right there. Leonardo da Vinci started this painting. In 1481, da Vinci was commissioned by Augustinian monks to paint what is called the adoration of the Magi. It depicted the biblical tale of the wise men's arrival to meet baby Jesus. But within a year, da Vinci, he had created this life-size draft that spanned over seven square feet. And he had got this far with it. Now, it's hard for us because this is, you know, classical art. But, so you never know. Sometimes it's hard to tell if it's finished or not, right? But this is not You can see that the middle part has more detail. And as you get out, especially off to the top, there are still sketches and sketch parts and far less detail and almost no color. A lot of the color that does exist is the base color, none of the highlight color. There's a lot of faces that you can see that are completely unfinished. He had got this far with it. But then in 1482, his work, this this piece of work, just at this level, captured the interest of the Duke of Milan, who commissioned da Vinci to paint a different painting. And so he chose to leave the adoration of the Magi unfinished. And instead, he painted another picture that you might recognize. The Last Supper. He made a decision that he was going to 
do something else. That he was going to leave that one and he was going to put it into something else. Today, I think if I said the adoration of the Magi to most people, they would not know it, recognize it as anything. But if you say the painting of the Last Supper, almost everybody knows. Let me give you another example. There's an American painter by the name of Gilbert Stuart was one of the most respected portrait artists in his day, and in 1796, he was asked to paint President George Washington. And after completing just the face and part of the background, he didn't paint anymore. He left it that way. He thought that maybe by leaving it unfinished, it would actually make more intrigue. You can see it here. That's all he did. That's how the painting exists today. But that may look familiar to you because every time you look at a dollar bill, that's the image that you see. And the painter made a decision. He thought, I could finish it, but if I finish it, it's just going to be another Portrait of George Washington. In fact, he had just painted George Washington the year before and had sold so successfully that George Washington's wife said, I think we ought to do that again. And so he was painting the same man again just a year later. But the artist said, you know what? I think if we leave it unfinished, it might actually have more value if I don't do everything, if I leave it somewhat, oh, hallelujah, that it might actually have more value. You see, unfinished still has value if the master determines to leave it that way. Now, why would God do that? Why would he not make those that he saves perfect? Paul once cried out to the Lord to be changed. Three times he cried out to the Lord. It was after he had been given a masterpiece moment. Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw unspeakable things. He had been given a revelation of heaven. You don't get to see anything better than that in this life. But after he had been given this masterpiece moment, this revelation of heaven, where he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, after this, we find something amazing, 2 Corinthians 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times that he might depart, it might depart from me. His personal testimony, his personal revelation of what he saw in heaven had the potential 
to cause people to think of Paul as more than a man. His revelation of heaven had the potential for Paul to think too much of himself. I know this is, this is challenging today, but you need to hear me. The revelation and the moment that he had caught up in the third heaven had the potential to work against him in his humanity to the point where he might start to believe that he was something special, better. Mm. And to save him from his own pride, he understands that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. I want to be clear today, this was not sin. This was not immorality or iniquity. Paul was not saying, well, I have this sin that I struggle with routinely, and God's just going to keep me struggling with this sin. No, no, no. That's a lie of Satan. God's love will help us with every sin. But there was something about Paul's life that he would have rather not been. There was something that was imperfect. There was something that was challenging. There was something that was difficult for him. There was something that bothered him enough on a regular basis that he would cry out to God and say, Lord, take this thing from me. And God did not do it. Paul says, finish the work. Finish the work, God. Paint something better. Paint over this thorn. Take this away from me. And God says, no. And because God did not take it away from Paul, Paul gives us some of the most masterpiece words that you'll ever read. 2 Corinthians 12, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I Strong. The Apostle Paul has a revelation that is even greater for us than his revelation of heaven because what he saw in heaven was unspeakable and he couldn't even say anything about it. But what he learned through his thorn in the flesh, God said, I want you to talk about that. I want you to tell people that my grace is sufficient for them and my strength is made perfect. Lord, why don't you finish it? Why don't you make me a masterpiece now? And God says, no, I'm not gonna complete you until that day. Hey, that you're with me in glory. Lord, why don't you cover over this thorn in the flesh? And God says, no, I need you to be an example of that when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, hallelujah. God needed the world to know 
that his grace was sufficient. And he needed that much more than Paul needed to have his thorn in the flesh removed. It was more important to humanity that they know my grace is sufficient for thee than it was for Paul to have a little bit easier life. Sometimes we question why the master doesn't just go ahead and make it perfect. And that's a question for the master. It's not a question for me. It's not a question for your friends or family. It's a question for the master. It's something you need to talk to him about. But I guarantee you, you will find. It's all about you anyway. It's all about the process. So that you can make progress. So that you can become the masterpiece. Even though it looks differently than what you thought. I said, even though it looks differently than what you imagined, the masterpiece. Oh, hallelujah. He's the master. We are not. We are just the canvas upon which he works. We are the clay upon which he puts his hands. And the best advice I have for any of us here today is just to stay in his hands and surrender yourself to the process. But what if he asked me to do that and I don't want to do that? Well, then you're going to have to learn submission. But what if he tells me to go there and I don't want to go there? Then you're going to have to learn surrender. What if he asks of me more than I'm willing to give? Then you're going to have to learn sacrifice. But it's all part of the process. And we're all masterpieces as long as the master is working on us. Stand with me if you would today. God bless these that have already come forward to pray. I said, we're all masterpieces as long as the master is working on us. We are his workmanship. And if you're here today and you would like to put your life once again back into the hands of the master, if you would like to surrender one more time and, and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will, if you want to, if you want to, deal with some sin and re through repentance or be baptized in Jesus name whatever you need to do whatever the master is trying to do in you I would encourage you to step out from where you are and come quickly to the front of this building and start to pray thank you for listening to our podcast this week we hope you enjoyed this message 
Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.